I'm going to read to us Acts chapter 2, the beginning of it, which is the account of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and falls with power on the disciples. So let me read Acts chapter 2, just the beginning. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own native language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, even a superficial look at the book of Acts reveals that this was a turning point in the lives of the followers of Jesus. And we saw last week, that they were holed up in an upper room praying. And when you read through the book of Acts, it, it's, it's clear that this coming of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised, uh, is absolutely essential to the effectiveness of the spread of the gospel. And I suspect that for the majority of us sitting here in this building and those who are watching online, it's not new to hear Acts 2 being read. And you can buy any number of commentaries as to what every single word means in that passage. But my experience tells me that what we struggle with is actually how to make this part of our lives. How do we actually turn what they had then into something that's meaningful for us today? And um, frankly, if we don't do that, if it's just something we read in a history book and put back on the shelf, uh, then we've missed the point. <laughs> So I am really pleased tonight to have Jerry with us so that um, I, I just thought it would be hugely instructive and very interesting for me to be able to quiz him about the place of the Holy Spirit in his life and uh, whether he's seen, well, I know he has, how he's seen the Holy Spirit at work amongst the different congregations he's been part of, et cetera, et cetera. So Jerry, come on up and... Um, and get prepared. Well, well, as we kick off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself so we know what, what you're about. Um, yeah, sure. Good evening. Lovely to see you all. And um, yeah, lovely to be, be with you tonight. So as Rupert said, I'm, I'm a vicar of a church down in southwest London, St. John's Hampton Wick. We um, planted there from a combination of sort of HTV and St. Stephen's Twickenham um, in 2010. And it's been a good 
good adventure. Went with a little group of us there, and it's been, it's been really exciting uh, just watching it sort of come to life over the last 10 years. Um, so, yeah, uh, married to Camilla. We've got two, two children, an 11 and 10-year-old, Sam and Isabel. So, yeah, life is sort of entertaining, keeps us full. <laughs> now, Jerry, I don't know if you find this, but I find being a vicar that um, people give you an odd look when they hear you're a vicar. So they like to know if you've done anything else with your life. <laughs> yeah. So would you like to tell us anything else that you might have done before you turned your collar around? Yeah, um, so... Um, well, I, I, did, I did geography up at Durham University, age 21, as um, someone told me at the time, sort of called it advanced colouring in, and uh, it was, <laughs> I think I, I slightly treated it like that my three years at Durham. It didn't work particularly hard, but I did come out with a degree at the end, and um, then uh, I, I, um, I worked for the car phone warehouse for a while, back in the old days where no, mobile phones were still sort of novelty, and... Um, then I um, worked in, in the city um, with this, this group basically doing, um, well, was, I don't know if you know, it's a very interesting company. Basically, they had, the chairman um, had been involved in Canary Wharf, and when it went belly up, he had a wonderful um, uh, contact uh, book of all these people. His friends always used to ring him up, ask him to introduce him to people, but he, um, he said, right, I'm going to charge you, and you're going to come for come for lunch a couple of times a month and I'll introduce you to these people and this is how his business started. And so I bizarrely ended up working for him and worked for them for a number of years. Um, basically, we called it pastoral care for chief executives and it was sort of introducing people to people and uh, networking, essentially, having lots of lunches, which was really fun. Um, and, then, uh, and then during that time, I, 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 um, I then started work. I had my own little business doing, um, getting people from this country um, into businesses overseas and doing vice versa, giving people experiences in businesses over here. And we worked with the Commonwealth doing that um, for a few years, um, which, was, which was a fun time. So lots of slightly random things. <laughs> and then worked for HTB for a few years before getting ordained uh, with a prison ministry. So, yeah. Very good. And I'd love to hear how it was that Jesus even became part of your life or important yep. to you? Yeah. So um, I uh, grew, I, I was born here but grew up in Washington, D.C. My father worked for British Aerospace um, selling planes there. And then when I was um, uh, 11 years old, we moved to Mexico City. And um, I, I loved it there. It was sort of mid-80s Mexico City, totally sort of crazy. Um, we were there during the earthquake and it was it was. It was an extraordinary time to be there, but unfortunately, I didn't do any work at the school there, so I was sent back to boarding school in England. And um, at the start of my second term, I'd just written a letter home saying how much I hated the boarding school and, you know, where I was in some school in the middle of the countryside. And um, I was called to the headmaster's study because I used to read our letters before they went out in those days. It was uh, it's a bit like being in prison, really. And... Uh, and and I thought I was going to be sort of encouraged to rewrite this letter home. And um, I walked into the study, and his wife was sitting there as well, which was unusual. And he asked me to sit down, which was unusual. And he told me my parents had died in a plane crash. And um, I obviously didn't know how to take that in at the moment. But um, later that afternoon, my uncle, uh, who lived down in Devon, came and picked me up. We went to my grandparents' house. And... Um, 
yeah, it took a while to sort of sink in what had, what had happened. Went back to school the next day, and a, a month later, we had a memorial service for them. And that service, I, you know, we never prayed at home. We never really talked about God at home. You know, we wouldn't have called ourselves particularly Christians, maybe Christian morality in our household, but we wouldn't have. And um, at that service, I can't really remember much of what happened in the service, but what I do remember is I walked out of that service just knowing that God was alive and that he loved me and that he was going to bring something good from this. And I couldn't, I was 11 years old, I couldn't give you any theology, I couldn't tell you anything else, but I just knew, oh my gosh, God is real, he's real. And it just came alive in me in that moment. So I carried on through school and university, and to be honest, I bumped into, there was sort of, various Christian unions and things at school, but I wasn't quite sure they were convinced it was true or not either. <laughs> so I, I sort of slightly avoided them, and I, I guess I wanted to kind of try and hang out with the cool people and, you know, all that stuff. So I, I sort of kept my distance from the Christians. But I knew in my heart, I knew that something happened when I was 11 years old, and I couldn't deny it, and, and it was true. Um, and then uh, I, at university, I never walked into a church again at, I was at boarding school all the way through, so we were at chapel pretty much every day. But when I went to university, I never walked into another church. And all I found, I suppose, was I got increasingly kind of lonely, but in a, I guess, almost in a spiritual sense, although I didn't really know how to put words to it. I just didn't know what my life was about and what I was doing. And um, after university, I, I, went, um, I went off traveling and I went sort of, worked in India for a bit. I remember going to lots of um, ashrams and sort of all kinds of, you know, I was on a bit of a search. I remember hugging the Divine Mother, if you've ever come across her. It was, um, uh, in fact, I remember, so it's just going off on one bit here. I remember hugging the Divine Mother and at the time, she was this big sort of quite large lady and you would sort of, sort of the ashram was all about her. But I remember as I hugged her saying, Jesus is Lord. And I didn't even know where that was coming from. But there was just something in me. This, I just started saying, Jesus is Lord. Um, and then I, I got quite ill um, later on on those travels in Indonesia. And I had to come back to the UK. And, and I had this little red Gideon's Bible. I don't know if anyone's given a red Gideon's Bible. I got it at school at age 14. And I could never quite bring myself to throw it away. And, um, and it followed me all around the world. I put it in my backpack for some reason. I used to read the pages sometimes. And I was just drawn in by it. And, and I got back to the UK and I thought, I've got to decide if this stuff is true or not, if what happened to me as an 11-year-old boy is really true. And I ended up, through a series of kind of connections, on an Alpha course at Holy Trinity Brompton. And, and it was, for me, it was, no one had really explained the gospel clearly to me, you know, that there was actually evidence for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And as I began to hear that, I began to put the pieces together of, oh my gosh, that stuff I felt that was kind of happening in me all these years is actually true. I'm not going mad. <laughs> you know, this is actually true. And, um, and I suppose my faith came alive then in my mid-twenties and um, I had started working for HTB at that point and doing a day a week and two days a week and so it went on, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I enjoyed that story a lot. <laughs> Just be careful who you hug around here. <laughs> and um, so you heard me reading about Pentecost 
and um, saying that the Holy Spirit makes a huge difference did to the disciples and it can he can to us today mm. would you say that's true for you has the Holy Spirit made a difference to you does he make a difference today yeah I mean I think from my story you can hear he started it you know I didn't I didn't do something clever to sort of get the Holy Spirit in my life. He just showed up in that memorial service, age 11. Um, and, and I think I was just sort of having a little moment to think and pray about tonight. And the, and the ver- one verse that came to my mind was from Galatians 3.3, 3, where it says, essentially, you started with the Spirit. Why are you being so foolish and going back to ways of the flesh? And, and I think... For, for me, and I probably for all of us, it's really important to remember he started this. As much as we think we started this, he started this. And, and therefore, the spirits at work in all of us, the fact that you're here, the fact... And I suppose, therefore, it's really just how, how we see more of the spirit in, in our lives. And um, I suppose for me... The Holy Spirit has made me uncomfortable at times. So when I was working in the city, in the, in the jobs there, I just knew I couldn't do this forever. I had, to, I had to go and work for HTB, really. And there was just that kind of stirring, I suppose, that the Spirit gives. And, and you know, the Spirit kind of works out in kind of sending us out on mission, if you like. And, and, and it was like that for me. I, I needed to do, to express my faith. So I guess that was the first thing of the Spirit. And then, um, yeah, I, I know we'll probably talk a bit more about the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. But, but I, I suppose that's the other thing we see the Spirit doing is, is then in giving us gifts for the mission he's sending us on. So the Lord doesn't just kind of send us into stuff. He he, he equips us and gives us the things we need when he sends us into, into mission. And, um, yeah, where shall I start now? Ask me another question, Rupert. Well, 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 I'm glad that we're sort of working our way along. So I think what you've been saying so far, this is a kind of quick recap, and then you can correct me if I'm wrong, it is, so the Holy Spirit, age 11, you felt the presence of God, yeah. and you felt... Well, whatever is going on, God's here. Yeah. And he's part of my life. Yeah. And, and then you've just been talking about how the Holy Spirit can sort of prompt you and guide you. And, mm. and, and then it move, does move us on to the dimension of spiritual gifts. Mm. Now, I'm going I'm to do a little quick bit of Bible stuff. <laughs> Say, I don't think there's any controversy amongst Christians whatsoever about the place of the Holy Spirit in, in a believer's life. That uh, one of the roles of the Spirit is, is to bring us to Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't say Jesus is Lord. Mm. He, it, it's him that enables you and me to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He's opened our eyes. Mm. He's given us the ability to see and to know that. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit is at work changing our character and sanctifying us is a technical word for that. And in Galatians 5.22, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. 
And that, it, it's like when you plant a seed in the ground, you know, if, if you plant an, an apple seed, you will get an apple tree. It's the fruit of that, the fruit of knowing Jesus. It's the fruit of a spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, that kind of thing. In Corinthians and in Romans and in Ephesians, Paul writes about the gifts of the spirit. And the Greek word for that is charismata. They literally mean gracelets. And they're things like tongues and prophecy and healing and um, some gifts that no one ever wants to ask for, like martyrdom. <laughs> and, uh, and I would like to ask you about them, Jerry, mm. and what your exposure has been to them and yeah. what you think about them. Because in all honesty, this is an area that makes some people tingle with excitement mm. and some people want to run for the hills. Yeah. And so I, I would just love you to tell us a little bit yeah. about your take on these things. Was, um Maybe if I start with tongues, because that's the one that makes people run for the hills. So let's start with the whole. But I, I know for me, um, I'd never come across this gift or heard this gift. Um, and it was going on um, and the first Alpha weekend I went on when there was teaching on tongues. And I remember hearing some people speaking in tongues. And I thought, that just sounds ridiculous and I don't think I don't know if I want to go there or, or get involved in that I just it was just seemed very odd but as I kind of thought about it more and because the people I knew who were speaking tongues were people I did respect so um, and got to know them and it was actually reading um, Jackie Pullinger's book Chasing the Dragon if you've come across that and and she ministered in the walled city in Hong Kong for many many years and you know she was very resistant to the gift of tongues as you read in that book and didn't want it and then was prayed for it and, and basically burst out in tongues and it totally transformed her ministry and a big part of her ministry is praying in tongues over people through the nights and through the day who were coming off heroin and, 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 and just how transformative it, it was to the ministry. And, and I began to see, gosh, yeah, if you're going to pray for someone all day and all night, you're going to run out of words pretty quickly, particularly if you're just praying the same thing, Lord, you know, deliver them of their, their heroin addiction or whatever it is they're trying to get free from. And, and actually, the way that tongues just released that ministry was amazing. So I remember I was, I, I was reading the book at home. I remember sitting at my kitchen table, and I was like, okay, well, let's go, Lord. You know what I mean? I, I, I think I can believe this is a good thing. Let's do it. So I started, I actually started by saying Jesus is Lord and sort of just opening my mouth and just seeing, seeing what came. And I began to say a few kind of, you know, a few things started to come. And, and then I kept saying Jesus is Lord because I was worried if I was sort of doing something dodgy or going crazy. I know it sounds ridiculous, but this was how I did it. And I sat there in my kitchen and, and, and I guess it just started to come and flow. And, um, and then when I've experienced people singing in tongues together, that's been really releasing to the gift because it really gives you a chance to do it corporately, if you like. But, um, I, I, and I think I, I, I've see, since seen, not only has it been a huge help to me in, in my life, so particularly in the moments of pressure, I remember particularly, so I, I was in, engaged to someone and for various reasons it just wasn't right and decided to call off the engagement. I'd been Christian a couple of years by this stage, and I just knew it wasn't right. It wasn't. And I remember driving um, to her house. She was living up near Cambridge. She was up with her parents at the time. 
And I'd prayed about this relationship over and over and over again. I had nothing left to pray about it. And I remember I was sort of quite new in the gift of tongues, but I remember praying in tongues all the way on this journey for about an hour and a half, driving up from London there. And when I got there, I just remember I felt so peaceful and I was able to say what I needed to say to her. And we called off the engagement. We're now both happily married to other people and it was definitely the right thing. But, but it was such a gift to me. And I also remember with the gift, um, uh, an alpha. Uh, so that's, the, you know, the two types of tongues we often talk about, aren't there? We talk about it as, um, it, it, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says the tongues of angels and the tongues of men. So it, sometimes it can be a known human language that, that we're speaking that was supernaturally been given to us, or it can be an angelic tongue, i.e. something we don't understand, but God understands, so a language of prayer. So driving up to this, uh, my fiancé's house was very much speaking in an angelic tongue. But um, I have occasionally experienced someone being given a human language. So uh, when we were running a, a little Alpha weekend away as our church about six years ago, this was, and um, we, had some Egypt, we, we had some Egyptians on the course and they spoke Arabic. And the, one of them invited a friend along who was really... She would have called herself a Christian, but she was very resistant to all the gifts of the Spirit. And she came on the weekend, and she was sitting at the back, looking quite grumpy all the way through. And Joel, who was our curate at the time, he, he was leading worship, and he got up, and he started singing out in tongues. And normally we don't sort of do that. It's kind of a little bit in your face in that moment. But he just started singing out in tongues in one of the worship things. And... Um, at the end, this, um, this, this lady had come in with Dina. Um, she, she came to Joel and just said, you know, Joel, you know, I didn't know you spoke Arabic. And he's like, I don't. And he, he, he'd been singing out, God loves you, God is with you, in Arabic, without knowing it. And, and it had a profound effect on this, on this woman. And she, you know, ended up being filled with the Spirit in a really amazing way. So... Um, it's a wonderful gift. And, and, and I think one thing I was going to say around these gifts as well is, is I think we've got to start from the place that God is good. Like, if we trust God is good, that he's really, really good, then he's only going to give us good things. And it, often we can get fearful of these supernatural gifts. But, but if he's good, if we truly believe he's good, then anything he gives is good. And there's no reason to fear it. It's just sort of embrace it. Um, the other gift, I, supernatural gift, I kind of wrestled with. Sorry, should I keep going? Well, <laughs> Do I, cut I, in, Rufus. Yeah, I might just, I might just um, interject a little yeah, bit yeah. because I think it's so helpful for you to talk to us about the gift of tongues like that. Um, I, I think from my understanding of what Scripture says, um, there are two uses of the gift of tongues in particular. Uh, one is in your own private prayer life, uh, where when you're praying, it's like your words do run out, yeah. and you don't know quite what to say. And, um, and actually, Jackie Pullinger herself, I've heard her speak about how she was working in, in the walled city, and she'd been there quite some time and was making absolutely no headway at all. And she got very, very frustrated. And to her annoyance... Uh, a, a group of Americans, if you're American here, then forgive me, but it was to her annoyance. Um, Americans came by and said, well, 
Jackie, are you praying in tongues? And she looked at them and said, no. And they said, well, you should. And she said, why? Um, she said, I, I, I have done in the past, but it's like it doesn't seem to make any difference. And they said, they took it to the verse in Scripture where Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And the private use of a gift of tongues is to strengthen you. It's, it's not for anything else. It's to strengthen you. And Jackie being Jackie, she had a bit of a, an argument with them and said, well, I don't feel edified yet. And they said, well, make it a commitment to pray in tongues every day for a short period and do it for a month and see what happens. And her, her testimony, her life story, why she feels so strongly about it, she said, when out of a discipline she prayed in tongues every day, it just seemed to unlock something. It unlocked something in her life. It unlocked something in the ministry that she saw God do. And... And I want to encourage us to say, if you've ever prayed in tongues, but it's gone on the back burner and you just don't, you need to stir it up. It's not going to happen automatically any more than normal prayer happens automatically. It takes a bit of effort and discipline. And um, that is one use of the gift of tongues. Another one that Paul differentiates is in public. So in a group like this, would, would I encourage you to pray out in tongues in a group like this? No, not really. Not unless God really laid it on your heart to do so. Because Paul says you shouldn't really be, we shouldn't be praying out aloud in tongues unless there's someone there with the gift of interpretation. And which is a bit odd because it's like, how do we know if there's someone here with the gift of interpretation if we don't try it? Have you ever seen tongues and interpretation in action, yeah, Jerry? Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Um, yeah, I just I, I, I remember seeing it at a, a staff meeting at, at HTB when when someone gave a gave a word out in tongues and um, and and we just waited because because they came to the front and very clearly gave I'm giving out a word and hopefully someone will have an interpretation and actually a few people had interpretations but there was a kind of similar theme coming out in what they were saying. And, and I've discovered that with, with, when other times when I've seen people get up and give a tongue and ask for interpretation, you begin to get a sense of what the Lord is saying because a few people will have a similar theme of, I think the Lord may be saying this through it. So it can be really, really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I rather took you off, Lee. You want to talk about another spiritual gift? <laughs> yeah, I can. I was, I, was, I was just thinking about the gift of prophecy because that's also one that I think... And, and sort of words of knowledge, we can get ourselves sort of tangled up in a little bit uh, of um, how, 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 how does the Lord speak to us in that way and do that. And um, I just, for, for, for me, I remember that, the, again, I sort of heard about this, people having, having a sense of the Lord saying something to them or a word of knowledge and thought, well, how does that work? And, 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 and asking for the Lord to sort of speak to me in that way and and sort of nothing was coming if I was honest and and then once I found myself praying for this man um I was down in the crypt at HTV and 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 I was sort of a bit of a loss of what to pray for him and and I remember flashing through my mind was a picture of a high jump I just got this sort of image of a high jump for a moment in my mind and I and I just said to him does a high jump mean anything to you? 
And he said, actually, my father was an Olympic high jumper, and I had a you know, very difficult relationship. We were able to pray about his relationship with his father, which I should have been praying about rather than anything else. You want me to grab this one? While he's doing that, I'll just explain. When Jerry says word of knowledge, it's like, again, Paul uses this term in Corinthians. And I think what it means is when God reveals something to you, you couldn't possibly have known uh, any other way. So it's not like you dredge up something in your memory that, that you already knew and apply it. It's, it just totally drops into your head because God reveals it to you. Like a picture of a high jump or something. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so it, yeah, that was just an, an example. And again, I, I think it's just sort of testing these things out, throwing out the word. And we do it in the body. We do it together. We, we, we kind of experiment together and hopefully we learn together. Of kind of, And we don't get it right every time. And, you know, sometimes we, we sort of are on message and sometimes we're off message and we just need to be really humble and hold it lightly and offer it and but, but God does work through it and work powerfully through those things um, yeah. and, and again I, I think what is amazing when I've seen people using this gift of word of knowledge it, it's so reassuring when God does something that absolutely makes you know that he is with you he understands what you're going through it's like he's reading your mail. That's, that's the significance of it, is that when someone brings a word to someone else, that God has this to say, and they hear it as coming from the mouth of God, it, it, it just is tremendously strengthening. Yeah. Have you got any other examples of words of knowledge, I wonder? Um, well, the, we, I mean, we sort of regularly give them out in the church and... Um, I think just, just week on week, we have people responding um, to different words. When you get a word of yeah. knowledge, how does, how does that come? For, for me, I would never like see a clear picture. It's not like I close my eyes and have this wonderful picture of something. It's just a momentary sense of, of um, either, either a sort of image flashing through my mind very sort of obliquely, um, or a kind of a sense of, you know, particularly if it's an emotional, something emotional, if someone may be feeling really broken or really, you know, again, sometimes I feel those things, you know, I feel a sadness or I feel a, something which I'm not particularly feeling at that moment. And, and so sharing that feeling is often a way that God communicates to me. Mm. Um, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And did you want to say something about prophecy? Um, yeah, actually, I wanted to say something about healing. Can I yeah, go sure. on to healing? Is yeah. that right? Sorry, because um, I'm just, uh, we, we, I've got someone in our service right now who's sharing a, a healing testimony. And it's been, it's been, he was shared it this morning and he's sharing it this evening as well. And it, it, it's, it's just so wonderful, isn't it, when God breaks through in healing. And it's another of these, these gifts we see. But this, this chap, um, Ross, uh, he joined our congregation about two months ago, and he was on the live stream um, about a month ago. And we had a we had a visiting uh, speaker, 
and they'd had a word about eyesight, that God wanted to heal someone's eyesight in the, in the congregation, and nobody responded, and it was slightly awkward because it was a visiting speaker, and he really wanted it to work out, you know what I mean, and got to heal someone, and it didn't. But on the live stream, there was this guy, Ross, and um, Ross was diagnosed with MS about four years ago, and has a number of different conditions uh, as a result of that. And one of them is his eyesight, where he, 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 couldn't, um, he couldn't drive in the dark because anytime he looks at a bright light when it's a bit darker, it kind of what he calls halos, and he gets all, he just can't see properly. And he couldn't sort of read smaller print and so on. And he noticed as this guy was giving this word about eyesight on the live stream, he could suddenly sort of see the text at the bottom in the, in, in the chat. Unfortunately, he didn't put anything in the chat at that moment, <laughs> otherwise we might have been encouraged. Um, but he found he could suddenly read it. And um, and, just, oh. and and you know, he's been through, with a, with a long-term condition like MS, obviously he's been through a lot. So he's sort of, I guess, a little bit wary of sort of taking that step out in terms of healing. But he's like, oh, I'll come back and see a bit better. So he thought, you know what, I'm going to go out for a drive. And, um, and, and, and he went outside and he noticed his eyes weren't haloing, as he calls it, when he was sort of looking out on the street and so on. So he got in his car and he went for a drive and he was completely fine. And, 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 and it was healed, this, what, some sort of degeneration that was going on in his eyes as a result of the MS. So that was amazing. And uh, he came the next week and told us all this. And then last week, he was in our evening service, and um, another thing he has is, is he doesn't really have um, feelings in his legs, or like kind of pressure feeling, but if, but if someone like rubs his skin, it's like burning, there's a sort of burning sensation, so it's a, both a kind of deadness in his legs, but also if he, if he rubs the skin, so he can't wear trousers, so he's always in shorts, he'd always sort of come in shorts. Um, and last Sunday evening, uh, Again, someone just praying for him, and, and, and they were just praying more generally that God would. And uh, he noticed he got the sort of sensation back in his legs. And, um, and he didn't say much on the evening, because again, he was sort of wanted to test it out. Um, but then he noticed like rubbing wasn't giving this burning sensation. And so he's spent the last week going out buying trousers, which he's really excited about. And, um, and he's going to be able to wear trousers again, which is good timing as the winter's coming. So, um, yeah, praise the Lord. It was just, just really exciting to see um, God doing something like that um, amongst us. And, and, and we know, and he's done, he's done lots of things. And, and, and I think it's really important we keep celebrating when he does heal because it raises faith. And, and I, I know there seems to be some connection with faith and healing. And, and as we raise our faith about what he can do, he seems to do more. Um, and that's, that's hugely exciting. Yeah. In, in just a few moments, we will actually make an opportunity to pray for whoever wants to be prayed for, uh, for anything. But my, my feeling on this is... Of course we want to pray for people who are sick to be healed. Why? Well, because Jesus commands us to. It's not a bad reason. But also because if you care for someone and they're sick, however could you not pray for them? But it seems to me the important thing, or an important thing, not the important thing, but an important thing, is that everyone should feel safe, that um, 
if you walk this road any length of time, you probably have the opportunity to see things being done which actually make you cringe inside. And, and it's very important. We're not putting pressure on anyone here. It's like if I was sick, and sometimes in the past I have been sick, and people have prayed for me in such a way that I've almost felt obliged to tell them I felt better, <laughs> just to get them off my back. And, and um, it shouldn't be like that. It, it, we shouldn't be put on the spot. It, we can't magic healing up. God, if he wants to, can heal. And I, I feel about all these gifts, when, when they're used correctly, it is very definitely to God's glory. And we very definitely walk away with a feeling, my goodness, God's been with us. God's been present. God is here. And, and I wonder if that's ever happened to you, Jerry, any occasions when you particularly felt, my goodness, God's been here. Well, you know, and you don't actually know this, Rupert, but I've sort of remembered coming here because I thought, I think this is the church, and this is the church. Actually, a bit of healing started for me right here on this step here about, um, would have been about 2003. So I came back to faith in, in 2000s, and, and, and I mentioned, you know, I'd, I'd lost my parents when I was 11. And I'd never really been able to cry since that point. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of just shoved everything down. And, you know, I was at boarding school. And like I said, I went back to boarding school a few days after my parents died. And just, I remember my boarding school, they rigged a game of rugby so I could score a try. And that was their kind of way of kind of dealing with it. And they appointed three friends to look after me. And... Um, and so I just kind of bottled everything up. And when I came to faith, age 25, um, I, I, I knew there was something not quite right in me, that nothing could really make me cry. You know, I just couldn't get emotional. I just kind of... And I remember coming to... A, a friend at HTB brought me along to a conference here. He sort of chatted to me, and I think he was kind of wise to what was going on in me and, and knew there was something that needed releasing in me. And he brought me along here. I remember him praying for me right there. And, um, and, and he prayed just, I can't remember exactly what he prayed, but essentially, you know, Lord begin to heal Jerry of that kind of weight he's carrying from, from losing his parents age 11. And I started to cry. And that was the first time I had cried um, since losing my parents was in this church in that spot. Um, so it's quite special to actually be here again and see that. And, and, and God, it wasn't like an instantaneous kind of healing I felt, one, but it was like, I remember the person ministering to me, Simon, he was called, said, it's like the Lord has lanced a big boil in you and it's all kind of coming out. And, and, and it was like that. And I just started to feel freer in my emotions and able to cry like a normal person when I saw a sad film or whatever. Um, and, and, and he began to heal me of, of, of stuff that had gone on. So, yeah, okay. Well, Jerry, I, I also connect you with a story that always, to me, uh, makes me know that the Lord is alive. And I suspect you know what I'm referring to. Yeah. Could you share that story with yeah. us? So when, when, I, when I went to train for ordination, I was up at Ridley, and um, Rupert was the vicar at Holy Unity of Cambridge there, 
and um, I was on a placement student with Rupert there. And uh, I have to say, I mean, uh, you are so blessed to have Rupert here. You really are. He, he was such a great person to work with in Cambridge. And that church was an amazing church. And I know he won't want me to say these sort of things. But, but, and he hasn't paid me anything. Um, <laughs> it, but, but honestly, it, 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 there was just, I learned so much there. And it was such a place of life and energy and joy. And it's an amazing church. Um, you're very blessed to have him move back to London to be here. And... I was preaching in the two morning service. I don't know why you let me preach so often. It was very kind of him because I probably wasn't very good at it. But I was preaching in the two morning services at the nine and the 11 and, and, and um, we were preaching on the topic of forgiveness. And at nine o'clock, I decided not to share my testimony of my parents because um, I just didn't feel there was time in the service or whatever. But at 11 o'clock, for a bit more time, and I thought I'll share my testimony and particularly... I've been on a bit of a journey of forgiveness. So the plane that crashed, it was in Guatemala, and it was the, the pilot's fault. Um, it was a, the airline only owned two aircraft, and he was one of the owners of the airline, and he'd been flying the plane. There were about 70 or 80 on board, and um, he, he wasn't meant to land. He was told not to land and tried to land anyways. It was bad weather and crashed into the side of a mountain. And... Uh, and so there's been a bit of a process of forgiveness. So I decided to share this story at the 11 o'clock service. And at the end of the service, this um, uh, young man, guy about my age, came up to me and, uh, and said to me, um, that, 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 that plane crash, uh, when was it? And I said, oh, it was in 1986. And he said, yeah, 17th of January, wasn't it? I said, yeah, and he said, um, my parents were on that plane too. And this guy, he was American. He was visiting the UK for one week. He'd been on an LL retreat um, where the, the whole subject of forgiveness was being covered and, and it'd come up. He needed to f- forgive the pilot, even though the pilot had died as well in the crash. He needed to sort of let that go. And he'd come into Cambridge for the day he was with a South African friend he'd, I think, met on the retreat. And they were going to go to King's College Chapel to hear the choir or do the sort of traditional tourist thing or whatever. And, they, and his friend said, oh, no, no, we've got to go to HD Cambridge. I've heard it's a great church. Let's go in there instead. And they came in, and, and there I was sharing this story. And it was an extraordinary moment, and uh, we're still in touch. He's now, so his parents were medical missionaries. That's why they were on the flight and they were doing setting up clinics in Guatemala, and he was now training as a doctor. And, um, you know, in, in that moment, I was like, it just showed me, this is how much God cares about forgiveness, how important it is to him that he would arrange all of this for both of us, actually. And just, how, you know, how amazing is God, isn't he, that he sorts that all out? I don't know how he sorts that all out. But he did in that moment, and, and yeah. yeah. There's a phrase in the Old Testament, sometimes used, where it says, this will make the ears of people who hear it tingle. And whenever I think of that incident, I know what that phrase means. Because you just think about that, just dwell on it for a moment. What are the odds of Jerry preaching on that Sunday morning 
What are the odds that amongst the millions of things that Jerry could choose to say in a 20-minute sermon that he would refer to uh, what happened to his parents? What are the odds of... How many people were on that flight, Jerry? So there were about 70 or 80 on the flight, and they were... Most of them were actually nuns returning to their... um, you know, to the, their place. They'd been at some conference in Guatemala City and the flight was up to the north of the country, Tikal, and uh, they, they, most of them, there were about 12 foreigners on the flight. 12 foreigners. They, you know, what are the odds of one of those children of people being killed in that flight being in the church at the time? It, it, it's absolutely amazing. And, and if ever we doubt that there's a supernatural God out there, uh, who cares and who can communicate and who can make an, make an immediate difference. I, I remember that story and it, and it, it makes me rejoice. And uh, I, I'm just so, yeah, I'm glad we could hear it from the horse's mouth because um, if I just told it, they'd say, how do you know that's true? Well, I know it's true because you experienced it. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Is there anything else you want to say about spiritual gifts before we actually turn into a time of prayer ministry? Um. I think I wanted to go back to the thing of, of, of God is good. You know, he loves us. He's a, he's a father who loves us so much and wants the best for us. So why wouldn't we want all these things he's got on offer for us? And, 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 and all he says, you know, there's no magic trick or formula. He just says, ask, doesn't he, throughout. He says, ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. And, and that's all we have to do, just keep asking and say, Lord, I, I'd love to grow in the gift of healing or in in prophecy or be able to, you know, use his gift of tongues. Um, please, Lord. And, and he's a good father. And, and he'll do it. We ask, we will receive. And, and, and so and I think that, and also with the, particularly with the healing as well, just, just sort of step out in the faith you had. You once said this to me, Rupert, actually. I don't know if you remember this, but I was going to preach at my nephew's um, christening and it was the first time I'd preached in front of my family, and I was terrified. And uh, Rupert just said, you know, don't, don't go off half-cocked, just step out in the faith you have and, uh, for the moment. And that was so helpful to just think, yeah, I haven't got to be something I'm not, but I'll just try and step out in the faith that I do have. And, um, and I would say exactly the same with the kind of, like, the gift of healing. Like, you, you, you know, for example, in our church, we have... We have uh, um, She's 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 moved away now, but we had a girl called Amy, and she's in a wheelchair, and and you know she used to get quite annoyed with people praying for healing with her because um, you know it was obvious she was unwell and in a wheelchair, um, but occasionally people are, are really given faith to go for it on a certain situation, and we had a visiting team, and they felt very specifically we needed to pray for Amy and pray for her back. And, and uh, she'd lost the sensation in her legs because of something in her back and so couldn't use them properly. She was only um, sort of 19, 20. And, and uh, in that moment, she was healed and able to walk around the room. And it was an extraordinary, you know, it's the most extraordinary sort of healing miracle I've ever seen. And, but, but I think the thing was, there was a real impartation of faith in that moment that you know this was the moment to pray for Amy's back and and so I think we need to be sensitive what what is the Lord giving us faith for because otherwise we can become 
a bit of a kind of clanging cymbal, if you want, and run around just, just praying for everything without really listening to the Spirit. What is the Spirit giving me faith to pray for in this situation? And asking, and asking to step out a bit further, but, but just be sensitive to that. So, yeah.